Our scripture this morning is from Acts 16, verses 11 through 15. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman, Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. Faith, I want to invite you to go ahead and have your your Bibles out this morning because as we look at this text from Acts, we're going to be going back through some of those details. But first, I want to tell you what happened to me Tuesday at 3.23 p.m. I got a text from my daughter, Elizabeth, and this is what it said. Can we go swim together this weekend? I want to spend some time together. I miss my mama. Oh. I know, I know. Don't, doesn't every mom love to get a text like that? So what you need to know, just kind of a little background, is that I learned to swim at an early age because my mama did not. She was determined that my brother and I would learn how to swim well and early in our lives. And the first set of swim lessons, and I was quite young, I still remember they did not go well And so my mom, you know, before the days of Facebook, you remember how you asked around to find out the best place for, for whatever? Well, she asked around, what is the best place to take swim lessons? And the answer was Miller Swim School. And we didn't live in Tulsa or really anywhere close to Tulsa. I am from a town called Talala. And some of you will know where that is, but many of you will not. It's about a 45-minute drive from Tulsa, uh, especially from the pool where the Miller family first started their, their swim lesson business. But I remember growing up, for two weeks every summer, we made the daily trek to Tulsa for swim lessons. I have no idea how much those swim lessons cost, but I know my mom packed our lunch every day so that we would not have to eat out. And so I have a feeling they were pretty expensive. But I loved going to swim lessons, even though it meant we had to get up early on those days and make that drive to Tulsa and then find a place to eat our lunch. Sometimes it was even in the car and then make the drive back home. Because swim lessons are where I learned to love swimming. I learned to put my face in the water and blow bubbles. And you may think that's not a big deal, but to a five-year-old, that was a really big deal. And after that, I learned how to float face up and face down. I learned how to streamline so I could move better through the water. And I really thought it was cool when I learned how to swim underwater because we were encouraged to open our eyes and I realized you could see where you were going. I really loved swimming. I learned in swim lessons to have a healthy respect for the water, but I also learned to enjoy water's gift in my life. And even still to this day, water is the place where I find freedom. And Elizabeth loves the water too. Like me, she spent a few years swimming competitively and she's a really good swimmer, so her invitation shouldn't have surprised me when she said, can we go swim together? And it shouldn't surprise you that my answer was, yes, please, let's do that. 
The title for today's sermon is, Love Calls Us to Invite. When you love something, friends, when, when it brings you joy, and when you know that it's going to bring someone else joy, inviting comes naturally. So I want you for just a moment to hold on to that thought. Chew on it a bit. Sort of roll it around in your heart and hold it up against the story that I just told you about Elizabeth's invitation to me this weekend. When you love something, inviting comes naturally. Do you think? You think that's true? This week, many of you invited. You invited friends, you invited family to participate with us in Vacation Bible School. And for those of you that have been a part of this congregation for for quite a while, one of the things you're going to know is VBS is huge for us. It's always one of our biggest reach opportunities. And every summer, we're going to have several new families that enter our building and several new faces that will become regulars among us because of VBS. This year, though, because of the pandemic, having 200 kids and at least 50 adults in our building every evening did not seem wise. So, on a dime, as I've shared with you before, our staff and VBS directors pivoted, and they created a brand new virtual VBS experience for us this summer. And this week, Faith, you came through. You invited and you participated. Friends, let me remind you that when you love something, inviting comes naturally. Pastor Heather and I pivoted too a few weeks ago when we realized that VBS stories were going to be something that we would focus on this week. We just scrapped our previous sermon plans for July in favor of a deeper dive into these Bible stories that you would hear each of the nights of VBS. And so today's text for the sermon comes from VBS Day 3. It's the story of Lydia being invited with love to a life of following Jesus by the Apostle Paul. It's a beautiful story. So let's go ahead and dig a little bit deeper into the text this morning. I want to invite you maybe to have your, your Bible out or, or have it on your phone and, and look with me at this map, okay? Because the first two verses of this scripture really invite a look at a map. And I want you to find on that map the part of, of the map where Jesus' ministry centered. You might look for the word Judea in and around Jerusalem, Okay, and then notice that on the other side of the map, here's Paul's second missionary journey. We set sail from Treos, took a straight course to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. You notice that he's moving westward there, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city, in Philippi, for some days. Now, friends, what you would notice in this map is that Philippi is a long way from Judea, where Jesus centered his ministry. The text also tells us that Philippi is a leading city. So we can infer from that that it's naturally more diverse in the types of people that you would find in Philippi. The text also tells us that it's a Roman colony which we can infer means that in this diverse city of Philippi, that they would be influenced heavily by a Roman culture and a Roman belief system. Now, if you're a reader in the early days of the church, you come across this story, and, and those would be contextual pieces that, that you would already know about, and you would sort of just know that, that Paul, in these travels that he's making, 
when he comes into Philippi, his Jewish identity would make him very set apart. Philippi is not a Jewish part of the world. And the corporate nature of Judaism, it's, it's both a religious and an ethnic identity. It has the, the importance of the law or the teachings, which if you've read through the Old Testament, you're going to know that there are over 600 laws, most of them corporate in nature, that good Jews seek to follow means that it's a, it's a corporate identity. And they insist on holiness as the set-apart identity. And, and what that would mean then is that Paul, when he comes into Philippi, being Jewish is going to make him stand out. It means that he would be greeted by the question that, that we greet each other with affectionately, of course, right? When we say, so you're not from around here, are you? Right? You just know. Gosh, you're different. You stand out. Then the text reveals just a little bit more and the considerations deepen. It goes on in the next verse to say, on the Sabbath day, very important. We went outside the gate by the river, very important, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. So it's important to note that by this point in time, there were Jewish communities. Uh, actually, you might think of them more as kind of enclaves. They were fairly small and fairly tight-knit, and they had been spread throughout the world. And that's because during the two great exiles in 722 B.C. when the Assyrians captured Israel, and then in 587 B.C. when the Babylonians captured Judah, the Jews were taken forcibly from their homeland in and around the Judea area, and many of them never returned. It was known as the Great Scattering. The word that we use for this today is called the diaspora, which literally means to be dispersed. So in the di diaspora, one of the things that happened, just sort of naturally, is that Jews knew that they could no longer travel to the temple for worship. But the need to gather and pray, just like it is for us, we can't come into the sanctuary safely for worship, but we still have this deep need to gather and pray together. And that was the case for them. They, they couldn't go to the temple and do that any longer, but they still felt this really deep call to gather and pray together. So they began to meet in the places that felt safe to them, outside the city gates, next to, you guessed it, water, rivers. Here they would recite their sacred texts. They would tell their defining story, which is the story of the Exodus, how God, through Moses, delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And they would remind each other, guess what? Yahweh, the one true God, is still faithful. That, that Yahweh is going to be with us even here, far away from our homeland, far away from the place where we gather together for worship. In the temple, Yahweh is still faithful no matter what. So Paul, in his travels and his missionary journeys, was always on the lookout for this gathering, which was pretty common on the Sabbath day, and he would always look for the people who were gathered, usually outside the city gates, by a river or place of water, where they were praying together. Now, you might think that he would do this partly because the Jews those who were in the diaspora, in the scattering, would be most open to the message of Jesus. And, and that was his hope, of course, that, 
that as one who came to say that the Messiah had arrived, that the anointed one was, was the person of Jesus uh, who had become the Christ for those who had been longing for it for, for millennia. But it also probably felt very familiar to him. And, and I'm sure that that was the reason that he sought it out as well. So Paul seeks out this gathering near the river, and he finds women gathering to pray. Pay close attention to what happens next. The text says a certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. Paul meets Lydia, and the text tells us she is not Jewish. Really? So how, how do we know this? Well, in these gatherings outside the city gates, Jews would often attract those outside the Jewish faith who were moved also to follow Yahweh, the one true God. Now, they couldn't officially belong as Jews. It was that ethnic identity piece and also the whole circumcision thing, that was kind of a deal breaker for many. But they were allowed to worship alongside the Jews, and sometimes they were called God-fearers or worshipers of God which is how Lydia is referred to in the text. The text also tells us that this gathering is primarily women. That's probably a sermon for another day. And that Lydia is naturally seen as a leader. The text tells us that she was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. So we know from the text that Lydia owned her own business and was likely quite wealthy. What happens next in the text is what it looks like when love calls us to invite. The text said the Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. Mm. Can, you, can you imagine the scene at this point, friends? Paul had already seen her openness. Here she was gathering at the river to pray on the Sabbath as a worshiper of God. But Paul also saw something more. Paul saw that the Lord was opening her heart. So powerful was the invitation coming through the Holy Spirit that Paul offered her the opportunity to follow Jesus. And then she and her household were baptized, which was a rite of inclusion at that point in time. It meant that they belonged to the body of Christ in ways that they would never belong as Jews. Lydia's decision on that day for her and her household to call Jesus Lord and Savior, the, the first profession of faith, right, was pivotal for the Christian community in Philippi. In fact, commentators note Lydia becomes a model of that minority of early Christians who were wealthy and whose homes functioned as meeting places for the church and provided hospitality for traveling missionaries. This network contributed greatly to the expansion of early Christianity. Remember that, friends. Lydia's investment, because of her invitation and then her further invitation to others, her investment in that early Christian community meant so, so much. And if we, if we go ahead and then jump next uh, to the end of chapter 16 to verse 40, we're going to see Lydia reappear. The, the text says, after leaving the prison, they went to Lydia's home. And when they had seen and encouraged the brothers and sisters there, they departed. 
So friends, let me remind you that when you love something, inviting comes naturally. It did for Paul, it did for Lydia, and it does for us. There's so much in this story. We could dig much deeper into its implications for the early church, but but for now, for today, I'd like for us to simply just hold the story that we read, the one that was told for us in day three of EBS, just kind of hold that in the one hand. And then next to it, I want to invite us to hold the story that I told you about Elizabeth inviting me to go swimming with her. In both of those stories, can you see that there is an inherent risk in inviting? She could have said no, right? Lydia, she could have said no. Me, I could have said no. I don't know what it felt like to be Lydia in that particular situation. I'm just hunching. But this is what I can tell you. I know what it felt like to be me. And no, never crossed my mind. Never crossed my mind. So my sense about the struggle that we face in inviting others to the faith is that we're not sure we love it enough. And I want to pause there for just a moment and, and let us think about that. I think the struggle that we have is not inviting. The struggle that we have is we're not sure we love it enough. I think we struggle to see the powerful gift faith in Jesus has brought us in our own lives. So inviting never crosses our mind. Because we're struggling to love it. Here's my comparison. So if instead of swimming, Elizabeth had asked me to watch a movie with her, my answer would have been, uh, well, no, <laughs> no, I'm good. Because here's what you need to know. Neither one of us, Elizabeth or me, love watching movies. Now that's not to say we don't occasionally, and we even enjoy it sometimes. It's just that we don't love it. Had she invited me to watch a movie, this is the honest truth. I would have wondered what she wanted to tell me subliminally. Like, why do you want me to watch this movie? What message is there I'm supposed to be getting? That's how that invitation would have felt to me. So, just think about the dynamics of inviting and what it feels like when you love something and you just naturally want someone else to love it with you versus, yeah, it's okay. I don't know, maybe there's a message in there for you somewhere. Four and a half months into this new reality, I wonder if your passion for a life of faith, for living mind, body, soul, and strength sold out in service to Jesus, maybe that passion has waned a little bit. If it has, I just want you to know you're not alone. In fact, maybe it was waning before covid Right? Just kind of hold on to that for a second. Now, Now let's go back to Lydia, friends. Lydia came to the river because she was thirsty. There was some yearning deep inside of her that was calling her. As a person of means, we know that she was wealthy. We know she owned her own business. She obviously knew that money and security weren't everything because she already had those things. And still, she was hungry. She was thirsty. She had this yearning deep inside. And she was looking for someone to speak to her with a convincing passion to say, I see you. I see your hunger. 
And I know where you can find what will meet it. Not only did she say yes, she then turned around and offered that invitation to others. It's as if no never crossed her mind. Friends, love calls us to invite. When you love something, inviting comes naturally. So I I wonder this morning, what is it that's going to kindle your love for following Jesus? What is it that's going to fan the flames of passion for your faith? This week I want to encourage you to pray that God would give you a heart like Lydia's. You have to think about what that heart feels like. This is not a heart that bubbles necessarily. This is a heart that's hungry. This is a heart that notices where there's a gap. But I want to remind you that all of us are feeling that right now. All of us are searching. And we're trying to fill those gaps in any myriad of different ways. What Lydia teaches us is not to be satisfied with the surface answers, but to go deeper to ask the question, what is really going to fill the need that is driving me right now? Because if it's certainty, good luck with that. You're not going to find it. What is it that's going to fill the need? Is it safety? Good luck with that. You're not going to find it. Is it plenty? Making sure there's always enough, there's always an abundance. If that's what you're looking for, friends, good luck. You're not going to find it. What about the absence of conflict? Because I really wish for some absence of conflict right now. You're not going to find it there either. Now, these are legit desires, okay? I mean, those are things that it's pretty pretty normal for us to want certainty and safety and plenty and the absence of conflict. We want everything to just go along like it, like it used to. But that's not what's going to meet our needs right now. Because our need is deeper than that. Our need is for meaning. Our need is for mercy. And our need is for purpose. Lydia went deeper. And you know what she found there? Jesus. And it was worth it. So friends, when you love something, let me remind you, inviting comes naturally.